Hello, I'd like to welcome you all to the latest installment of Hydrocarbon Processing's podcast series, The Main Column. Today we're looking at the direction of cost-effective carbon capture and storage technologies. Now, this podcast was adapted from the latest issue of Hydrocarbon Processing Magazine, the July edition, and this article was written by Saudi Aramco. Now, before we get started, we really want to thank our sponsors of this month's podcast, Honeywell UOP. Now, Honeywell UOP is transforming the way the world works through innovations in energy transition technology and process that helps organizations create a cleaner, productive, and profitable future. And over the last century, Honeywell UOP's engineers and chemists have shaped the refining, petrochemical, and gas processing industries by turning laboratory science into industrial reality. UOP processes produce the fuels that power our cars, trucks, jets, and trains. They make the natural gas that heats our homes and serves as a source of power generation. And they are also shaping the energy transition with their full suite of ready-now solutions to help transform the environment, including sustainable aviation fuel, advanced plastics recycling, energy storage solutions, technologies to replace natural gas with hydrogen, and carbon capture offerings. You can find out more by visiting Honeywell UOP at uop.honeywell.com. All right, now on with the podcast, Direction of Cost-Effective Carbon Capture and Storage Technologies. So around the world, many nations and companies are transitioning toward the decarbonization of energy. Aramco has taken a pivotal role by earmarking strategic initiatives, including its corporate decarbonization initiative, to ensure a sustainable future. So this initiative aims to reduce the amount of carbon emissions that must be captured to reach a carbon balance of net zero emissions strategy. Now, one of the key pathways to reduce carbon emissions is to capture and store or sequester the carbon. So to reach a net zero carbon balance or net zero emissions, the inherent carbon from hydrocarbons that would otherwise be released into atmospheres, fugitive carbon, must be captured and removed or reused. So carbon capture and storage, or CCS, those technologies capture carbon dioxide, or CO2 emissions, at the source or directly from the air. Now carbon dioxide emissions are then transported away and stored deep underground or turned into useful products. Capturing carbon has been practiced for decades to help improve the quality of fossil fuels like coal and natural gas. However, pioneering next generation technologies means that CO2 must be removed and sequestered indefinitely. So research is continuing to explore new ways to add value to waste CO2 by turning this waste gas into marketable, low-carbon industrial and commercial products. Now, carbon capture technologies can be categorized as the following. You have pre-combustion, oxy-combustion, and post-combustion. So the following definitions of each of these categories include the following. So pre-combustion, Carbon capture involves the removal of CO2 from fossil fuels before combustion is completed. An example of this include coal gasification and steam methane reforming, where the feedstock is partially oxidized to form syngas. Now that's followed by the water gas shift to produce a pure CO2 and hydrogen stream from which the carbon dioxide can be separated. Next, when we look at oxycombustion, so this type of carbon capture or oxyfuel combustion refers to combustion with pure oxygen. And when we look at this process, fossil fuels burned in oxygen instead of air to ensure controlled and complete combustion. Now, the resulting flue gas consists of primarily CO2 and water vapor. 
The water is condensed through cooling and the result is an almost pure CO2 stream that can be transported and stored. Lastly, post-combustion. This capture involves the removal of CO2 from flue gas after the fossil fuel has been burned. Now, post-combustion methods are end-of-pipe solutions for most existing industrial combustion processes. Flue gases for post-combustion capture generally have anywhere from 5% CO2 to 15% CO2 concentration and are at near atmospheric pressure. Carbon capture and storage technologies can be grouped under three phases in case of deployment. Commercially ready technologies, emerging technologies, and concept technologies. Now, commercially ready technologies basically have a technology readiness level of eight to nine. So these include technologies that can be categorized as commercially available or near commercially ready. These technologies have been tested or operated as a demonstration or widely deployed in various commercial applications. Now in the near or medium term, it's expected that these technologies would likely involve further development to achieve incremental improvement and economies of scale to reduce system costs. Now when we look at emergent technologies, which have a technology readiness level of four to six, these are emerging CO2 capture technologies that have been validated at pilot scale. They're in line to be demonstrated at pre-commercial scale and may become commercially available in the coming years. And lastly, we have concept technologies. These have a readiness level of about one to three, uh, and they're at the lowest level maturity, and they have a really long lead time to get to market. Now, most of the ready-deploy technologies are based on post-combustion CO2 capture and are deployed as part of large-scale carbon capture and storage projects at existing power generation plants. The deployment of CO2 capture technology has been primarily focused on low-cost process emissions-based opportunities, including at power generation plants and for industrial applications such as natural gas processing, cement, iron and steel, and chemicals. Now, carbon capture processes can be classified according to their gas separation capturing capabilities, namely chemical absorption, physical absorption, adsorption, calcium and reversible chemical loops, membranes, and cryogenic separation. Now, carbon capture activities have mostly focused on power generation plants. So these things are coal-fired power plants and gas-fired power plants, and they make up the largest stationary source of carbon dioxide emissions. Now, more recently, industrial applications of carbon dioxide capture have begun to gather momentum primarily in the steel and cement industries and to a lesser extent in places like oil refining and the chemical industry. Now, carbon dioxide storage involves the production and recovery of carbon dioxide from industrial processes and is typically followed by drying and compression. Now, the captured carbon dioxide can be injected and depleted oil and natural gas fields for enhanced uh, oil recovery, or it can be sequestered in deep geological formations like uh, saline agrifers. Now, alternatively, carbon dioxide can be used as a chemical feedstock for things like, uh, example would be e-fuels. Now, curing in the cement process and algae biofuels uh, production can also be used in chemicals among other various ranges of carbon dioxide utilization options. Now, it is worth mentioning that carbon capture from gas streams is not new. Uh, carbon dioxide capture technologies based on chemical solvents were first commercially deployed in the 1930s to separate uh, carbon dioxide and other gases from methane and natural gas production. 
Now, prior to 1972, uh, all carbon dioxide captured was vented to atmosphere, except for a small portion that was used or it was sold for other purposes. And those would include things like urea production or beverage carbonation. Now, the main driver of carbon capture is the capture cost or the capture abatement in basically U.S. dollars per million tons of CO2. Now, the cost of uh, CO2 capture from low concentration sources, such as coal-fired power plants, has reduced by about 30 to 50% over the past decade, and that's primarily due to research and development and economies of scale, and it's decreasing for other applications as well. So the cost of CO2 capture can vary greatly by point source and by capture technology. So fuel transmission applications that produce a concentrated CO2 stream and or that require CO2 to be separated as an inherent part of the process have low CO2 capture costs and have been favored for deployment. Now, one of the main factors in carbon capture utilization and storage projects is to realize a positive uh, present value and to find cost-effective ways to design, operate, and maintain the carbon capture utilization and storage project. Now, due to low commercial utilization of CO2, most CO2 projects would depend on permanent sequestration. Now, to make the carbon capture and storage business attractive, several cost-effective approaches should be considered. Now, the following are going to be some of those considerations to help the economies of this business. First off is the location of the sequestration sink. So one of the key requirements to optimize the cost of any carbon capture storage project is to allocate the nearest best fit candidate sink to replace the required pipelines, distance, and compression requirements. So the overall cost will be reduced further if pressure requirements for transporting CO2 are reduced and if higher capacity pipes and the nearest sinks from the emitter sources can be identified. Mostly, such privileges with ideal sinks are unavailable, but the best fit candidate would have ideal conditions to design and safely operate the carbon capture and storage process with the optimum cost during the lifetime of the project. Although the most popular sink for 100% permanent CO2 sequestration is a saline aquifer, other types of sequestration are also assessed and used around the world. Now, a detailed assessment of the subsurface and its associated risk could optimize the cost at the full value chain. For example, any potential of lowering pressure in the candidate sink would affect the cost of the capture and transportation and possibly optimize power requirements. Next is we're going to look at existing infrastructure. Now, one of the design philosophies to reduce the capital expenditure of a carbon capture and storage project is to capitalize on the existing infrastructure of the facilities this can be achieved by reusing existing infrastructure safely for CO2 transport and storage. If capitalizing on the existing infrastructure provides good outcomes to optimize capital expenditure, several considerations should be accounted for before any repurposing of existing infrastructure for CO2 transport and sequestration. Some of these considerations would include things like installing new equipment or monitoring systems, which would add additional costs. Now, several physical, chemical, and process engineering aspects should be assessed to ensure the compatibility of the materials and equipment to adopt the modified process safely and economically. The integration of the infrastructure at existing facilities with the carbon capture and storage value chain could help to reduce capital expenditures. For example, on this, 
Facilities with a huge inventory and with tank farms associated with triethylene glycol systems could be an opportunity to favor triethylene glycol dehydration in the capture part. That would also reduce the need for new chemical tanks and could optimize the cost of dehydration units, leading to a reduction of the overall facility's footprint. Now sharing the concept. So to reduce the cost of carbon capture and storage, sharing the infrastructure concept among several emitters could provide the most cost-effective approach. Infrastructure sharing of stationary and rotating equipment would provide a significant cost reduction. And one tactic is sharing pipelines and final compression of the captured CO2 through dedicated hubs. Now when you do this, there is a huge potential of reducing the total capital expenditure and operating expenditure for the emitters. Now this sharing concept is not limited to pipelines and equipment. It could also be extended to several applications. So things like cooling water, relief systems, utilities, storehouses, maintenance yards, among others. In addition, the concept of remote operation and centralized maintenance would help to enhance operational expenditure. Now, another benefit of sharing the main infrastructure is the ability to modularize and standardize equipment and pipelines. Care should be taken that each emitter does not breach the CO2 specifications ahead of transporting or pumping it to the subsurface. Now in all, the sharing concept would help reduce the overall cost of the project in both capital expenditure and operations expenditure. Now let's look at investing to develop new technologies. So one of the long-term solutions to optimize carbon capture and storage project costs is leveraging the investment of innovation and deploying new cost-effective technologies. A breakthrough in any segment of the value chain would impact the total cost of the project. For example, employing special coatings, alloy materials, or cost-effective materials and pipelines could optimize several segments and units of the value chain, such as eliminating or reducing maintenance on dehydration units. Another aspect that makes the carbon capture and storage business attractive is the development of new applications for CO2 utilization. Now, finding a market for CO2 utilization would positively impact the economies of the carbon capture and storage project. For these kind of cases, the business could profit by increasing the value and purity of CO2 through increasing the demand on CO2 supply. So lastly are enabling mechanisms. So as the market for CO2 is limited and utilization is minimal, the only way to get carbon capture and storage projects deployed is through incentive mechanisms and stringent policy regulations for mitigating CO2 emissions. Now in all, the existing projects and operating facilities, policies are essential for running a carbon capture and storage business. Regulations, carbon emitting taxes, and other means of incentives must be considered for current projects. Utilizing carbon credits and carbon trading and unlocking a blue ammonia business could comprise supporting mechanisms for the carbon capture and storage business as well. So finally, a couple takeaways. Well, carbon capture and storage has the potential to significantly reduce global emissions. It is a central element to support the decarbonization of oil and gas businesses and operations. And it's also an essential element of an integrated ammonia and hydrogen production program. In addition, carbon capture and storage has the potential to reduce greenhouse gas emissions and support economic diversification and sustainable development in many countries around the world, especially in places like Saudi Arabia, where the authors of this work 
currently reside. So again, we want to thank you all for listening to the latest installment of Hydrocarbon Processing's podcast series, The Main Column. And again, we want to thank our sponsor for The Main Column podcast, which is Honeywell UOP. You can find out more about Honeywell UOP by visiting their website at uop.honeywell.com.